This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. So each week, whoever's preaching gives uh, either me or Carrie uh, an emphasis of what the theme of the sermon will be, and supposed to work that into the hymns uh, that we sing. Uh, Carrie nailed it uh, this week. I just said, uh, God of our salvation, we just sang... God of our salvation, Lord of our salvation, author of our salvation. Okay? If you missed it, this is about salvation. <laughs> okay? That's where we're going to go with this this morning. Maybe when I'm done doing this, I'm, we'll make you sing them all again and uh, see, see if you can find the theme in there. We're going to be in Daniel 4 this morning. Daniel chapter 4. Christianity is like being pregnant. Either you are or you ain't. Okay? There's no middle ground there. So what's the threshold that must be crossed in order to join the ranks of the faithful? When do we know for certain that the gospel has taken root in somebody's life? What's the evidence of that? Is it going to church on Sunday? Is it listening to Christian music? Maybe you like to hang out with Christians. Does that make you a Christian? If I like to hang out with people of color, does that make me a person of color? No more than going to Dunkin' Donuts ever made me a policeman. <laughs> just putting money, put, you say, put, say you put a buck fifty in the box back there every week, does that make you a Christian? Maybe you put 150. Maybe you put $1,500. Does that make you a Christian? Do you have to speak in tongues to be a Christian? What's the threshold? What's the red line? Where do we draw it on who belongs in the ranks, truly belongs in the ranks of the faithful? Um, I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that um, in pregnancy, you can't always tell by a pregnancy test if somebody's pregnant. Did you know that? Did you know there's false positives? Did you know there's false negatives in a pregnancy test? Well, all these things I just read off here, these could be false positives, false negatives. They could be an indication of something, but they don't prove anything. They are not the threshold. Is it even possible to know if somebody is a true Christian, a true believer or not. As Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite would say, can anybody even know that? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we come to you this, mo this morning to look at your word, um, to try to digest and process your word. Father, we want to be encouraged by your word this morning. So many things going on in our lives. Uh, show us in your word something, Father, that we can take away uh, with us this morning. Test us as we read the word. Challenge us. Confront us as we look at the, the words of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, Father, enable us to live the lives we're supposed to live. We ask this morning that you would use Daniel chapter 4 to get us 
where you're trying to take us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're doing, uh, I'm going through, been going through Daniel 4 as I come up here occasionally on Sunday mornings. Uh, next week uh, I'll be up here again. We'll do Daniel chapter 5. We spent the last half year on Friday night uh, Bible study going through Daniel with uh, a group of you that, that come on Friday nights. Um, and um, trying to turn those four teaching lessons into sermons. So let me back up just a little bit because not everybody was here uh, in, when I've done this previously from the pulpit and not everybody was in Friday nights. So let's back up to chapter 1 in Daniel just for a second. Uh, in 586 B.C., uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the uh, head of the Babylonian Empire, came in and he conquered and he took people out of Jerusalem and took them back to Babylon. But actually the, the exodus happened before that. That's when it culminated. Somewhere around 605 or something B.C., uh, they started taking exiles back uh, to Babylon. And uh, the strategy was we'll take the cream of the crop, get, pick, pick me the best kids, the sharpest, the brightest, whatever, the ones with the most potential. We'll take them back, back to Babylon, and we, we will rename them. We'll give them a pagan a name after our pagan god. We will relocate them in our place, and we'll re-educate. We'll re-socialize them. We'll try to embrace them, get to embrace our Babylonian culture. So they tried to do that with Daniel, and, and Daniel, who uh, ultimately became called Belshazzar, and also had three of his buddies uh, who became known as, you're familiar with, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They became exiles in a foreign country being named and somebody trying to undo everything they'd ever been taught and somebody trying to re-socialize them. One of the things King wanted them to do was go on the king's diet, but there was something about the king's diet that wasn't kosher for, in some way, and they refused. They didn't want to go on it. And they, were cha they challenged uh, the guy that was taking care of them. We don't want to go on this diet. Uh, just let us try our own diet of vegetables and see if we can do okay on that diet. Long story short, they let them go on the Daniel diet. They went on the Daniel diet for a period of time. And indeed, they did become stronger, healthier, and uh, much more robust than those others, uh, captives who did, uh, uh, ate the king's food. The, the point of chapter 1, if you want a bottom line, is God was encouraging Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's trying to encourage them. I got your back here. You're in Babylon. You've been taken away from every, your family, your friends, your, everything you've ever known. But I'm with you here. I got your back. Just, you know, if you'll be consistent with me, I, I'll take care of you. So he took care of them. He, not only did he uh, enable them to eat this Daniel diet and do well, he gave them wisdom. He gave them uh, intelligence. He, uh, they were better than the other, other kids that were going through the same school they were. Daniel, he gave the ability to interpret dreams. God had their back, chapter 1. Chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's very disturbed by this dream. It's an image, gold, silver, bronze, uh, clay, and, 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 and in the end, uh, he doesn't know what this dream means. He calls Daniel in. Daniel has this, uh, been given this gift to interpret dreams. Daniel interprets the dream and, uh, and, and explains to King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you're Babylon, you're, you're, you're king, you're gold up here. This is your kingdom. But what's, what happens is there's other kingdoms that will follow you, bronze, silver, uh, silver, bronze, clay, and, and those kingdoms will be inferior to yours, but nevertheless, you're not going to be here forever. There's other kingdoms that are going to follow you, all right? But in the end, a rock, a rock, not, not from human hands, but a rock, Jesus Christ, will come, and he'll be the final kingdom. There'll be some kingdoms after Babylon, but there is going to be a final kingdom that will not fail, that will last forever, chapter 2. God's telling Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, yeah, you've been captured by, by Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, but you know what? He's not the end. He's not the end of things. His, he's not the end of history. There's other things coming. This is just your place in history for a moment in time. 
So find your place in history for a moment in time, Daniel. That's all you need to do here. I got your back, chapter 3. We get to, we get to chapter 3. And uh, by the time uh, we, we get to chapter 3, um, Nebuchadnezzar starts doing something that he does consistently in the, in the book of Daniel. He issues a decree. The decree is, I've created this image, and I want everyone in the kingdom to bow down to this image. And it will be our, our God. It represents me. It represents the kingdom. That's the decree. Bow down to the image. And if you don't bow down to the image, you're going to go into the fiery furnace. All right? And so what we learn uh, over time, so long story short, is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's not in this story. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they end up going into the fiery furnace. The guards who let them to the fiery furnace burned up just putting them in the fiery furnace. It's a pretty hot furnace. But when they go in there, I think most of you know the end of the story, they don't burn up. What's the point of the story? What's the moral of the story? God is telling Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I got your back. No one can destroy you. The fiery furnace is a representation of hell. And what he's telling them is, I will protect you from the gates of hell. I control. I am God. I'm, a, I'm in control of Babylon. I'm in control of your circumstances. And I'm in control of who will suffer an eternity in hell and who won't. That's the, that's, the, that's the story. That's the bottom line of the fiery furnace. So in summary, God has control of their circumstances. They're there where he's placed them at a moment in time. He's in charge of the earthly kings and kingdoms. He has control over their fate, their eternal fate. He knows who's going in the fiery furnace at the end of the day and who isn't. He knows who he will protect from that. Okay. There's something about Nebuchadnezzar, though. And he can be a little bit controversial, although I don't find it that way. And I, I'll take you through it this morning, and I'll explain to you why I don't find it, find him to be a controversial character. Because you see, at this point in Nebuchadnezzar's history, I would say to you, he has not crossed the threshold of faith yet. There are things along the way in these preceding chapters. In chapter 247, uh, uh, at the end, whenever they... He, the interpretation of the dream is given, and it's all happy, and he's happy with his place for the, for the moment in time. He promotes them all. He promotes Daniel, makes Daniel in charge of everything. He takes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, puts them in charge of everything that's going on in Babylon. So he's given them standing. He's given them position. And he says, says to them, yours is the God of gods. Yours is the Lord of lords. So what we would understand or take away from that is Nebuchadnezzar realizes maybe they got a God, but he's just one God there on the mantle with the other gods. He also says in chapter 3, and in terms of the fiery furnace, when they come out of the fiery furnace, he says, wow. He says, you have the most high God. Not only is there gods on the shelf up here, but yours is the most high of all of them. All right? And they only worship their own God. Nebuchadnezzar's got a piece of it, but he doesn't have all of it yet, does he? He's still thinking there's just one God in the pantheon of gods, and theirs maybe is the most high God or not. So what does he do? He issues another decree. Decree number two. The decree number two is he says, no one from here on out can speak against their God. That's my decree. Okay? Number two. So now let's get to our, uh, our chapter four, and let's uh, begin reading here in uh, chapter four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions in my head alarmed me. All right? So I've given you chapter 1, 2, and 3. I've given you kind of a setting here of what's going on. You've got these captives. They've been given some standing. And we have this uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar who's in, in, in control of things. And a moment ago, things were pretty good. 
He was issuing good decrees for, for their God. But now we come along and we find, we find out that um, he is, um, shall we say, what's the words here? He's alarmed. All right? He's not only alarmed, but he's afraid. So things are not going as, as he would wish. Uh, so what is he going to do here? Actually, I, I started reading in the wrong place. I'm going to back up here just a minute. I meant to start in, in chapter the first verse. I wonder why what I said didn't line up with what I'm reading on the paper. Now I know. <laughs> Let's go back to verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It, all, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Okay, still calling the Most High God, right? Has he crossed the threshold here? King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people. What is he doing here? It's, um, uh, I'm going to say this is another proclamation. This is another decree. I am decreeing peace to all. Peace be multiplied to you. It seems good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and the dominion endures from generation to generation. Sounds pretty good. Has he crossed the threshold? How is he doing? Wonders. He gives one everlasting kingdom, dominion. He's putting all three chapters together, the first three chapters. Uh, but he ha has he crossed that threshold? Has his faith taken root yet? We'll read on, and I'll answer my own question here in just a second. Now, I'll read verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. And as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. We've changed here. The tone has changed. We've gone from praising God from being afraid again. His situation is not good. I had another dream. And every time I have an, another dream, I, uh, I'm alarmed. Something is coming to me that scares me. All right, I, I stand here alarmed. So what does he do? So I made a decree, verse 6. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. He issues another, uh, another decree. This guy likes decrees. This is uh, decree number three, if I'm uh, keeping track here. Uh, and now, let's stop and talk about decrees in just a second. Decrees are what politicians do. They like to issue statements, right? Bold statements uh, of things that they're going to do, that they're going to accomplish, that everyone to come alongside of them uh, is going to agree to and go along with it. And, and their strategies to get people on your side and to, to look like you're in charge. All right? Now, um, somebody might ask you, what you think about this or that or the other thing. And you say, well, i got a decree on that one. Let me tell you what we're going to do on that one. Let me tell you what we're going to do on this one. All right? And they should have an answer if they're, they're in a power of position. Because uh, people who don't have an answer, um, that, do, that doesn't fly with us. So, so if you're a good politician, you never don't have a degree, decree. You never have nothing to say on something. If you don't have something to say on something and ask, somebody asks you a question about something, you say, we're looking into that. That's a very serious matter, right? I'll get back to you on that, okay? We'll come back around, okay? Which, in a sense, is saying, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I have no answer for you, okay? But I'll come back in a little while with a decree, okay? That's really, it's really code for one of two things. 
Either I don't know what you're talking about or don't hold your breath because I have no intention of giving you an answer to that question. That's what, that's what politicians do because they buy time. They, they think over time what's going to happen. Over time, what's going to happen is you're going to get bored with it. You're going to keep waiting for an answer. There's going to be a new, a new news week, and it's going to go away, right? So these things tend to go away. They accomplish absolutely nothing, and they're soon forgotten. And that's essentially what all these decrees that Nebuchadnezzar keeps giving are going to do in the, in the end here. They're going to go away. So what, what, what does he do? Let, let, let's keep reading here. Um, then... Um, he wanted to know that they might make the dream interpretation known to him. Verse 7, Then the mag magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Why is he asking these guys? Last time they, uh, he asked them to interpret a dream, what did they tell him? He, he, what he did last time in the previous chapters, he didn't even tell him what the dream was. He said, you tell me what the dream is. Then I'll know you're not making it up as you go. And they couldn't make it up as you go. And they quoted Napoleon Dynamite. And they said, how can anybody know that? Can anybody know that? Okay. And essentially what they said, what they said to him, the only the gods could know the answer to the questions you're asking us. And they don't dwell with men. All right. But yet he's going back to the same guys. He's going back to the magicians, the astrologers again, and he's asking them to answer the same question. They couldn't answer this time, but this time he gives them a hint. This time he's going to tell them what's in the dream. Then uh, they came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make to me, known to me its interpretation. So he's got these guys. He's going to, they're, they're his main source of information, his main source of wisdom, and, and his cabinet, if you want to call him that, cannot give him what he's after. They essentially said uh, what the, the unforgivable sin, I don't know. I can't do it. And politicians are not allowed to do that. They're supposed to make something. We'll get back to you on that. Okay? They didn't even say that. It's complex. We're looking into it. All right? There's a problem here for Daniel, though. Because Daniel has been promoted, remember? And so when the king says he's going to call in his astrologers and his magicians and all that, that includes Daniel. Daniel knows he's going to be called in here, and he's going to have, have to give an account of what's going on. All right? So Belshazzar, in fact, calls Daniel in. Or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar calls Belshazzar in, and he reminds us all that Belshazzar is the name of one of my gods. You know, he wants us to remember Daniel is his. So he calls Daniel in, right? And uh, I'm going to read now from verse 8. He says, At last Daniel came before me, he who was named Belshazzar, and after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Stop there. Holy gods, lowercase g, plural. You have a footnote in your Bible about that? If you have a footnote in your Bible about that, you'll, and you go down to the footnote, what you'll see there is that that word gods in lowercase could just as well be Tra uh, translated capital G gods, okay? Read it that way. Yeah, I, uh, you can, I bring Belshazzar's in at the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. I'm going to suggest to you, if you've got a translation that has lowercase gods there, cross it off and put capital G in there, and I'll get you there in a minute, okay? The key word here is holy. As, as we see this word holy, we'll see as we go through here who he associates with the holy. So number, number one is, is stop there and you just see that. But either way, at, at this point in time, whether it's capital G gods or lowercase, it doesn't matter. And Nebuchadnezzar knows Daniel has a gift 
from somebody, the Most High God, as he understands at this point, and he brings him in, and maybe Daniel can do what my cabinet couldn't do. And I told him the dream. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods, there it is again, holy God is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. All right? Stop here for just a second. I think it's weird that he goes to his cabinet and he asks for help with this. And then he goes to Daniel, who's apparently, from what I just read, he's in charge of the magicians. Why didn't he just go to Daniel first? But he doesn't. He's, he's gone to Daniel now. Okay. Um, well, what, what, what's the definition of insanity? We hear this over and over again. Doing the same thing twice with an expectation of different results. Okay, he's, he's gone to the same people that just failed for him. He's gone to them twice. So there's a little bit of insanity going on here on behalf of him. So stop here. Aren't you glad that in our culture today, um, the political structure never does the same thing over and over and expects different results? Aren't you comforted by that thought? Do we do the same thing? Because that's what our culture does. But let me ask you again, aren't, aren't you glad that you don't do the same thing over and over and have an expectation for different results. Do you? <laughs> You're lying if you don't. Okay. Okay. How many times do we vote for this group of guys because we know they're going to defund Planned Parenthood? Is Planned Parenthood defunded? Do we still vote for these guys? I mean, I, I can go on and on here, but I'm, I'm going to stay out of politics a little bit if I can. All right. I'm, I just I want to tell you, we, we are in the same trap. Uh, that they are. We have things that we go to that we think are the answers to our needs. He's looking for answers here, and he's going to the wrong place again, but we think we have it solved. A lot of times we don't even need to go to a cabinet because we know we have it solved. I know it'll solve my needs, right? More money. If I can just get my kids to graduation and then get them in the right college, okay? My, I, I, I'll be home free. My next promotion. What if our side wins the next election? Won't that solve everything? If, you're, if that's too complex, how about a new set of golf clubs? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe a smoker for the back patio, okay? Then, then will not all of your anxiety and, and whatever's be met? Where do you go to find answers for the things that trouble you, that alarm you? that cause you anxiety. Okay, let's move on. Let's go uh, uh, back to uh, our text here. Because he's called, he's called Daniel and he's asked Daniel to interpret this thing for him. And uh, what he's going to do now is he, he's going to tell Daniel the dream. So we're going to go through the dream here. Part one and part two of the dream. Here's part one of the dream. Behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, fruit abundant. and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and the flesh was fed from it. Nothing wrong with that dream, is there? That's the good part of the dream. That's a cool tree. You know, the, the, it's got fruit, it's got leaves. Good when trees have leaves. And the, the, the animals are, are shading under it. Uh, a, a very good uh, thing is happening here. Okay? Uh, no, no, no problem, Daniel, with, with that part of the dream. Let's move on to 
part two of the dream, starting in verse 13. And then I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one. Okay, let's stop here. What's a watcher? We, we should understand, if we go back to the Hebrew and everything in this, I'll just cut through. The watchers and angels, some angelic, some heavenly being has come down and is speaking to him in this dream. A holy one. There's that word again. The holy one is, is angelic. It's, it's on the God side of, of the battlefield. A holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump, its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. Let the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the... Oh, wait, 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 just a second. Something happened there. Do you see it? What are we talking about here? The angel comes down. He chops... What does he chop down? It. He chops it down. We're talking about the tree. There's some grammar going on. And we follow the rules of grammar. He, follow, he, see, he says, let the beasts flee from it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him. Oh, what happened? We've gone from the pronoun it's to him. We're getting a clue here uh, of what's in this dream, who this dream of addressing, and we're not talking about a stinking tree. We're talking about a human being. There's a human. It's him now, so let's keep reading. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. Somehow, this beautiful tree represents a person, a him. And we can take this whole chapter, and we can refer to it as a kingdom, but I think we're going to lose sight of, of, the, of the emphasis, the purpose, if we don't stick with him. This is about a him. This is about a person. It's about him. And him is going to be wet with the dew, and he's going to have portion with the beast, and he's going to eat the grass of the earth, and his mind is going to be changed. What's going to happen to him, him is going to become insane. This man is going to lose his mind. And when he loses his mind, he's going to sleep on the dew on the ground. He's going to eat what the beasts of the field eat. He's going to eat the grass that they eat. And his mind is going to be changed because he's, he's gone insane. Whoever this guy is, is going insane. And how long is he going insane for? For seven periods. And you know how long that is? I don't either. Okay. Seven periods is the full length of time it takes. The full, the full length of time it takes to do what? What is the end of the seven periods? What is the purpose of the seven periods? Reading now from verse 17. This sentence is by a what? Decree of the watchers, the angels. Now we've got another decree, only this decree is coming from the angels. This isn't a human decree anymore. This is a decree out of heaven. And the decision by the word of the holy ones. And the holy ones were the people who came from heaven. Holy ones, holy. That's why we're doing a capital G on God's. The holy ones to that end, that. What is the end? What is the purpose? Why are we doing this to this man? That he may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives to whom he will and sets over the lowliness of men. Friends, that is the most important verse in this chapter. 
God is going to do what he's going to do, but he has a reason for doing it. The reason he's doing it is so that the king, that, the, that he will know, the living may know that the Most High God rules, and he rules the kingdom of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Balthazar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are, for the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. Capital G. The Holy Gods, the Spirit of the Holy Gods have issued a decree. But when God issues a decree, it comes to pass. It's fulfilled. It isn't forgotten. It isn't set aside while we look into this a little bit further. This is a decree of God now. We've got a whole different ballgame going here, don't we? The, holy, the spirit of the holy God is in you. Paul's in Daniel's court. 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. Why? He's been called in. He's got a favor with the king. He's going to do it. There's a problem going on here. Daniel is a prophet, if you haven't noticed. His book has mixed him in the prophet, the book that was of the minor prophets in the Bible. He's a prophet, and he's given a bunch of prophecy in this whole book. There's a problem, prophetically speaking, however, because there's a rhythm to prophecy. And the rhythm with prophecy is that a prophet usually, most of the time, precedes the good news with the bad news. And sometimes if you deliver the bad news first, you don't get to the good news. And there's many examples in the Old Testament of prophets who were killed for delivering the messages they gave. They gave hard news, and Daniel knows. Daniel, we're going to keep reading here, and I'm going to tell you, Daniel already knows what that dream means. It has been revealed to him, and he's troubled because he knows, I got some bad news. So maybe, maybe there's a soft landing here. Let me let us try with a, with a soft landing and set him up just a little bit. Uh, the, the king answered, let not the dream be alarm. He says, don't let it alarm you. My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and it's an interpretation for your enemies. Well, what he's saying is, I, I haven't given the interpretation yet, but it's going to be bad news for your enemies, not for you. So before I tell you, let's, let's lower the bar here. Okay? Let, give me a soft landing here. So we get to verse 20. The tree you saw, now Daniel's speaking, the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible into the earth, whose leaves are beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was the food for all, under the beasts of the field and found shade? In those whose branches the birds of the heavens lived? It's you. Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are the beautiful tree. The, one, the great tree there. All right? Soft landing. That's good news. I'm trying, I'm trying to paint this. Daniel's trying to paint this in the most positive way he can. But basically what he says, as Nathaniel the prophet said to King David, Thou art the man. It's you. Thou art the man. This is about you, O king, who have grown to become strong. Your greatness has grown and branches reach the heaven and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. All right? And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, here we are again, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of the truce on the earth and bound with a band of iron, bronze, and tender grass, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be with the beast. Which is just recoding, you know, the decree. This interpretation, O king, it is a decree of the Most High. You are the tree, but there's a decree of the Most High, and it's you are going to sleep in the dew. It's you that's going to go insane. 
and, and eat with the, eat the grass, okay? And why is this decree been issued, O king? It's a decree of the Most High which will come upon my king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass and shall be wet with heaven for seven periods of time. Stop. Listen. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High God rules the king, kingdom. Going to do this to you. You are the man. You are the tree that's going to get chopped down. You're the one. The band around the tree trunk, that, that's bondage. You know, when, when I got a slave, I always, first thing I do, right, is, is I put some kind of a, a, a band on him or something so he can't get away and it's probably got my name on it or something. You are in bondage now. I've got you where I want you, and you are in bondage to this insanity for a sevenfold period of time. All right? Until, that, until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives to all he will. Okay? When does the period of time end? How long is it? Once again, I don't know, neither do you. But it will, it will go until he knows that the Most High rules the kingdom of heaven. And it was commanded to him to leave the stump at the root of the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you and from the time you know, from the time that you know heaven rules. Okay? How long is this uh, seven periods? This, is, this seven periods of time is going to last until you know that heaven rules. That's the duration of his insanity that he will be given. And Daniel sees this. I think maybe, maybe again for a soft landing, maybe again he's got compassion, maybe he's got wisdom. He's going to give Nebuchadnezzar here a way out. You don't have to go through this, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the oppressed. And there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prophecy. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar. What's Daniel saying? Cross the threshold. Enter in. Repent of your sin. That's Daniel's inter interpretation uh, of the whole thing. Once again, he has not passed the threshold. Until he does, he will remain insane. I'm going to say something here. It's going to sound harsh. I don't care. Um, my instructions are to preach the whole counsel of God. Not just the parts I like, not just the easy parts, but what I'm going to suggest to you, if you're sitting in this room and you have not crossed the threshold of faith, you're insane. What you believe, what you are living is insanity. All right? You live in a state of insanity. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. Okay? That's hard. But that's what's going on here. Now, how do I know that Nebuchadnezzar didn't repent? Because I've read the rest of the chapter. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking away on the roof of the royal palace. So things are going great now. So Daniel's told him about this whole prophecy. He's explained it to him. He's told him. He's given him warning signs. He's told, he's told him what's coming down the road. And the guy's ignoring it. He's gone along just fine for 12. He's ignoring the warning signs. When Grant was 15, 14, 13, maybe 12 years old, I decided it was time for the talk. 
And so we, we did the talk, and funny little side story, there was this book that had some pictures in it that went along with the talk. And so I told Grant, go get that book. And he said, Dad, we're not going to do that, but it's a dirty book. He had already read the book. <laughs> Eight, whatever, okay? Always ahead of his time, you know, Grant. At any rate, one, one of the things that, that I used to do, take him through that talk into teen years or whatever, James Dobson, you know, a lot of you guys have a memory, you know him. He wrote some books, Data Discipline, What to Do with a Strong-Willed Child. And he had, had one book he wrote on how to, how to do this. And so the way he, he took us, there was a series of things I was going to teach Grant. But the, the metaphor I'm remembering here that I used with Grant was, Grant, what I'm giving you is signs. You're on a highway, and this road goes nowhere. This road goes off a cliff. But there are signs that warn you before you drive off that cliff. You don't have to go down this road. You don't have to do this and this and this as you watch your peers do them. You can stop. Somebody is warning you what's going on here. All right? Uh, this guy's gone 12 months, and he's been warned. But he thinks, he thinks he's escaped it. He thinks they just went off and said, well, we're going to research this. It's a complex matter. You know, uh, we're looking into it. But this, this, this was a decree by God that this would happen. So at the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built and by my mighty power as a royal residence? And for the glory of my majesty, when the words were still in the king's mouth, when the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice once again from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you. It is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat the grass of an ox, and seven periods of time will pass over you. Again, why? How long? Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom. That's the decree. He the kingdom of men, and he gives to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew. His hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like the bird claws. When God says something, it may not pass immediately over time, but it doesn't go away, friends. His decrees are true, and his decrees will come to pass. You know what I think we have here? We have a threshold that has not been crossed. There's a time when a man or a woman goes from unbelief to belief. Now watch this. Verse 34. At the end of the days, that would be the seven periods, if you're paying attention. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me and blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar lifts his eyes as he crossed the threshold. Do we know if he's... Is that controversial whether or not this man has crossed the threshold? I'm going to suggest to you it is not controversial. Because in verse 24 it said, this decree, this decree that you're going to live in insanity will last until you know. And then it struck him and the decree struck him and it was true. So why does he have reason to return? Because he knows. Because God's decree in his life has happened. 
And when God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And God decreed this was going to happen. There's going to come a time until you know. But now that he knows, the time has passed. The time has been complete and fulfilled. And he says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. All of the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will. And he does according to his will. And he does according to his will, not your decree. Among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. None can stop him. None can keep him from doing what he's decreed to the man, to the him in this text. No one can say to him, what have you done? Why are you doing this? It's by his decree he does what he does. Unless we want to end up as a Job 8 and question it, 38, and end up with a Job and saying, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? We don't question God, but his decrees will come to pass. Nebuchadnezzar has passed the threshold, my friends. He understands it's the will of God that has saved him. God has acted sovereignly and fulfilled the stated end of his decree, which is that Nebuchadnezzar would know that the Most High God rules. When I read this, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. The inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand. I feel like I'm reading the Westminster Confession. I, I, I feel like I'm reading a book from one of the Puritans. John Owen, John Bunyan, William Perkins. This is the language they used. This is what they wrote. This is what they believed. It's the will of God in a man's life. It's the will of God in a woman's life. It's a decree of God in a person's life, what he will do. And who are we to stand or argue with that word? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors, my Lord, sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, even making me insane. His ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he will humble. Nebuchadnezzar has gone from the proud man that he was to the humble. Now the Bible, um, we, we talk about this over and over again. Things happen in the Bible, and then they happen again. And then they happen again, and then they happen. So there's, there's horizons where something happens in Scripture, and it happens again, and it increases in intensity every time that it happens. And it helps us not to take a passage and read it by itself, but to always ask ourselves, where is this in the picture of the whole Bible? In, uh, you, can, you can go there and read it. I'm not going to take the time to In Ezekiel 31, we see this tree. Exact same language of this tree and the beasts and the leaves and the fruit. But this tree in Ezekiel 31, Ezekiel was a contemporary, by the way, of Daniel. In, the, in that passage in Ezekiel, he talks about the beauty of the tree, and then he says, and the tree is Egypt, and it's Assyria, and I'm going to destroy you. You were seemingly beautiful for a period of time, Ezekiel says, but God says, I'm going to destroy you. All right? 
we could, uh, if I want to stay in the Old Testament for, for a minute, I'll, I'll remind you that we're talking about Babylon here. The location of Babylon is the exact spot on location of the Tower of Babel. Seemingly a great tower, seemingly a great thing. Seemingly we could, we could with this architectural feat, right? God saw it, he allowed it for a time, and he destroyed it. The tree in Daniel 4, the beautiful tree, is the kingdom of Babylon, a king, a kingdom that will be destroyed, okay? I'm trying to take you through scripture and talk to you about beautiful trees and seemingly beautiful things because they, they appear again and again in scripture on different horizons over time. And I could take you down to the New Testament. Mark, put up Matthew 13. It's a controversial passage, but I'm going to make it uncontroversial for you. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown larger than all the garden plants, it becomes a tree. It becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in a measure of flour until it was always leavened. Some, you know, th that's in uh, the, the kingdom parables. Jesus starts teaching in parables. He gives them the, he gives them the parable of the sword. He says, it ain't like you thought it was going to be. You're going to sow all this word. Most of it's fallen in a bad place. So only some of it's going to grow. And not only that, but some of it's going to grow among weeds, and weeds are going to grow up, and there's going to be weeds everywhere. And the people say, should we kill the weeds? Should we pull the weeds? He says, no, let the weeds go. Leave the weeds alone. What I'm trying to tell you is the, the context of this parable is bad news. It's not what you think. So some people then transfer out of that melodic line, and they want to tell us that the tree in Matthew is the tree of the church, and the tree, tree grows big. It's as small as much as it grows, grows great big, and it's like leaven. Leaven just grows and grows and grows. No. Leaven in the Bible is a bad thing. It's always yeast. It's always something to be left behind. It always destroys and, and defiles. This tree here is like the tree of Babylon. It's like the tree. This is an allusion to Daniel 4. This is an allusion to Ezekiel 31. This is a tree that is seemingly great but needs to be destroyed and will be destroyed. All I'm trying to show you is the horizons that, that go through Scripture and on next horizon, I'll take you to, to Revelation. And I'll, I'll start in 17 first before we do this. In 17, actually, let's just read this. <coughs> okay, I'm good here, 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable. How are we supposed to see the tree in Daniel? How are we supposed to see the tree in Matthew? How are we supposed to see the tree, the whore of Babylon? Babylon has fallen. This, is, this horizon keeps going through Scripture that something seemingly great. Where, where we're at now, we're not in Daniel's time. Now we're in John's time. I, I, I take the book of Revelation as, as some of it has transpired in 70 AD, but a good portion of it is future yet to come. And this is future yet to come. The church is going gonna, is gonna to seemingly be great and grow and have great things. But there's a rhythm here. The rhythm in prophecy is that doom and destruction comes before restoration. Because in 18, we're talking about fallen as Babylon. At the end of time, chapter 18 and 19, if we go there, Christ is here. Christ is here to redeem. 
The, the rock of, Jan, uh, of Daniel chapter 2 has showed up to destroy all the kingdoms of the earth. The rock, the kingdom that will last forever, is here. What I want us to see is the pattern of Babylon, some, some, some great country seemingly powerful and whatever and indestructible is going down. You and I live in exile. We live in a foreign land. This is not our home. And, whether, and I'm as patriotic as the next man in this room. But our country's going down. In the fullness of time, we will move on. And there will be another kingdom after us, or it will be the kingdom of Christ that comes to end things. I don't know. Well, you know, we're, we're not given, given that answer to the information. But that's the pattern. That's the pattern you and I live in. So don't look to your government. Don't look for the next election, the Supreme Court, or anybody else for your answers. It, it will pass. What we see here of great power and glory will pass. There's corruption in our setting. Is there not? It clues us into the fact that we will pass. Because the leader of the free world on this day has some decrees. And those decrees say things like uh, a man can have a baby. And abortion is okay. And parents don't have all control over their kids. And we, we need to realize those decrees will not stand till the end of time. They will fall because they are not the word of God. So are you one of his own? Have you crossed the threshold? If you're in a state of unbelief, if you are oblivious to the obvious that's in this passage and you think you're still calling the shots and the decision whether or not you cross the threshold is up to you, think again. You are insane. I'm just the messenger. You are living in insanity because you've been told otherwise you were taught fighting. Why are you fighting God? I'm talking to everybody in here. Now, now a lot of times when we, we talk about having faith, you know, and, and your faith being passed on to your parents and family, a lot of times we're talking to the younger people in here and we're saying, do you own this? Is it your mom and dad's? Well, I am talking to people whose parents tried to pass it on, but some of you guys are 20, 30, 40, 50 years into your denial. And you don't own this yet. You're still looking for somebody else to fix things, to be your wisdom. To stand apart and, 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 and to be your right person. What are you afraid of? If you speak up, speak your mind, and let your, your faith be known, what are you afraid of? Your reputation is going to go in the toilet? The Lord got a hold of me, eyes, eyes give or take, in my mid-twenties. I was a policeman. I was very macho. And um, I remember realizing God had me. <laughs> And I remember going to my pastor and saying, you know, how do I deal with this back at work? Because I, I have this image back at work, and it's not exactly going to fit, you know, where I'm supposed to be going now. You know, he gave me great wisdom. He told me, don't worry about it. <laughs> God will take care of it. And look at me up here. <laughs> you know what? He did. God took care of it. it it'll work. It's not going to wreck your reputation. Maybe you're a rebellious control freak. You've been a control freak all your life. You're rebelling against your parents now, and you've been rebelling against God. Well, what are you afraid of? No one tells me what to do. No one tells me how to live. No one tells me what to believe. 
My parents want to believe that? Fine. You know what? You're insane. That's an insane position based on what you know. And you know what? God was in control of Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach's circumstances, and he took care of them. And you're not in this room this morning by mistake. He's in this room this morning, and these are your circumstances to hear this message. If you stay in rebellion to him, you are insane. And there's no nice way to say it, and the fiery furnace awaits you. Christianity is like being pregnant. Either you are or you are not. Now, some of you think uh, you are, hey, you've crossed the threshold, and I'm not talking to you. Nonsense. Because some of you have crossed the threshold and are still standing there in the entryway. And there's a race to be run. You come through the threshold and you have been assigned something to do. There's a race. And some of you aren't running it. And some of you are running it way slow. I used to run a lot back in the old days. And there was this pastor at our church, and he told me he was going to take up running. And I said, fine. And he would come in and report, I ran a mile today, I ran two miles a day. I ran, and I thought, man, this guy's doing great. He's a little, little overweight. I'm surprised he can do this. So I'm driving down one one day, and I see Pastor Paul running down the street. Real slow. I thought to myself, I can stand still faster than that. <laughs> Some of you are in the entryway. You've crossed the threshold, and you're standing still. You're pretending like you're running. Are you in the race? <clears throat> Father, I just pray somehow that we would um, give up our insanity to whatever extent each of us possess it. By your decree, we are here. By your plan, we are here. Father, I, uh, I pray for two words this morning for those in unbelief to be shared with me or with Bruce or with Kim. The two words, Father, is are, I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe what he did. I believe what I read. I believe. Father, provoke us. Get us off high center. Help us to run the race. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.